This episode is brought to you in part by the Second Mission Foundation. Second Mission Foundation is a nonprofit organization that exists to educate, elevate, and advocate for members of America's service community in order to help them find their second mission after government service. Second Mission Foundation was started by and for the members of America's service community. That means members of the armed forces, first responders, security contractors, etc. Second Mission Foundation provides these veterans the opportunity for them to tell their stories, reach their goals, and make their voices heard through educational outreach, entrepreneurship support, and community involvement. For everything you need to know about Second Mission Foundation, go to secondmissionfoundation.org, secondmissionfoundation.org, secondmissionfoundation.org. Profiles in Havoc is a Havoc Journal podcast. The Havoc Journal seeks to serve as the voice of the veteran community through a focus on current affairs and articles of interest to the public in general and the veteran community in particular. Havoc Journal strives to offer timely, current, and informative content. When you go to Havoc Journal, you will read the most articulate, opinionated, thoughtful, and provocative veteran writers writing about the nation, the world, politics, national security, culture, fitness, movies, the list goes on and on and on. Havoc Journal's always expanding, always striving to improve the reader's experience. Check it out at HavocJournal.com. That's Havoc with a K, Journal.com, HavocJournal.com. My guest today was Logan Vath, Navy veteran, singer-songwriter, and one of the stars of the upcoming Savage Wonder Ground on April 13th at the beautiful Principal Gallery in Old Town Alexandria, 6 p.m., Get your tickets to savagewonder.com. Okay, that's enough for that shameless plug. But Logan Vath was my guest today. I was very excited to have him on the show. Um, I've been a big fan of his music, and I am not a big singer-songwriter fan. Um, yes, there are Neil Youngs and Bob Dylans and Paul Simons, but generally I find singer-songwriters a little cloying for my taste. That said, Logan is a notable exception. I really, really, really liked his second EP, Lost on Leaving. I love sitting down and talking with him about the album, the making of the album, and, of course, his process and everything else. But when it comes to his military time, what was interesting to me, um, like many people that only do one contract in the military, you know, it's interesting what drives them to leave. And in Logan's case, it wasn't anything negative. It was just, you know, it was time to move on, and that was kind of always his plan. I won't give a whole lot of spoilers as to everything else we talk about, but um, uh, doing his four years in the Navy, uh, what that did for him, what that didn't do for him, the opportunities it provided him, it's, uh, it was a great time talking with him. And it was an interesting time uh, learning about how what this journey has been like for him. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot more I'm going to say about that for right now. Okay, without any further ado, I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is Logan Vath's Profile in Havoc. Welcome to the show, man. Good to be here. Dude, it's so freaking great to talk with you. Like, And I felt so bad, you know, when we... This is our second Zoom together, right? Because we did the Wonderground Zoom. And they're like last minute thing. And I had to take my kid to that birthday party. And I was like, Jesus Christ. 
all I want to do is like just sit down and have like just some, you know, a little bit of bandwidth to have a proper conversation. And it just well, never I kept happening. The kid, the kid thing well, so I was not off put by that. No, I know. I, I know. No, I, and I appreciate it. I felt bad for me because <laughs> I was like, I'd, I'd rather, I had a bunch of shit I wanted to ask you anyway. And it's weird because with all the Wonder Grounds we've done, <clears throat> you know, I've usually talked to everybody a decent amount beforehand. So I kind of have angles going in. In your case, I didn't really need to because I already do the content that we wanted to use. Because mm-hmm. as I say, like, like legitimately, like this isn't like podcast bullshit or me trying to like be Mr. Promoter. Like I legitimately listened to your album, like Lost on Leaving multiple times each month like it's yeah, like a, a constant refrain I, I just think it's a phenomenal piece of work and um so for me that kind of like answered all the substantive questions about like you know hey what do you do what kind of stuff do you have what kind of subject matter you know etc cetera, etc cetera. but i'd love to know kind of the logic behind it so i guess let me try to take this in chronological order mm-hmm. are you from nebraska yeah, I was born and raised in Nebraska. Okay, so what's the connection with Nebraska and Delaware? Because they got Dover, right? So, yeah, first of all, let me say anytime anyone in a bad brain sweatshirt says that they've enjoyed my music for the past few months, that's <laughs> a high compliment, and I appreciate it, man. Um, <laughs> See, I told you when I said I don't do singer-songwriters, like, that's not my thing. That's what I meant. I was like, like, I love Dylan, I love Neil Young and all that, but generally speaking, like your Jason Mraz types and all that, like I'm not yeah. really into, but you like totally broke the mold for me. I was like, this is fucking badass. So Thanks, anyway, man. so Nebraska, Delaware, um, the, the connect, there's really no connection between those two places technically, but I was living in, I still live in Virginia. And at that time I was back and forth between New York city. I was working with a guy on the first record that I did called, uh, in the presence of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And every fucking time we'd hit, I would hit Dover, Delaware, just start pouring rain. And this is like weeks on end, back and forth, back and forth. Um, So, yeah, I was, you know, I I always have remnants of home and songs, but I was thinking specifically about Dover when I wrote that. And uh, that whole wash that or Dover rain washed New York City off of uh, my car. Right, 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 right. right. Um, Got you. Okay. I got so many. I got a lot more questions about that song, particularly because I fucking love that refrain. True. Uh, 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 what is it? Um, I think hell is gonna hell is gonna break loose. Yeah, right. right? You don't want. Yeah, I fucking loved that. Um, okay, what the hell? Let me ask it right now. What's going on with that? What like where did that come from? Because that's a lot of balls in the. Air. I thought it was like okay, he's from Dover or something. He's going back home, and he's got like yeah. But but what was the origin of that? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it was just kind of, um, I mean, at the time it was written, it was just kind of a lot of things going on. Obviously, I was I was fresh out of the military a um, couple couple years, I guess. Well, shit, probably about a year, because um, mm. that's one of the older songs. What For for um, Lost on Leaving, that was probably one of the older songs that made that record, huh. um, also the first one we tracked. But there were just a lot of balls in the air. Like uh, I was getting out of a long-term relationship or probably about to, even though maybe no one else knew that, but the two of us, um, you know, my, my mom had recently moved to Colorado and was kind of pursuing some new things there. My dad, like I mentioned in the song had taken a new job in Iowa and um, wasn't really enjoying that. So 
I think it was just kind of a conversation with myself on all these moving parts and, um, you know, Murphy's law of everything kind of, or when it rains, it pours, if you will. Um, yeah, I, so what about, what about the, the, my, my verbiage isn't always great on this, but what about the riff? What about the, the syncopation? Like to me, every, what I find myself doing every time I listen to that song is I start playing the drums on my desk. Like I just, the, the rhythm of that song and all your songs have a really distinctive rhythm, which I think is what makes me like you more than the average singer songwriter. I'm sure I'm slurring and slandering a lot of people because I'm sure they have interesting stuff going on with their music too. But to me, it's the way that you're, you phrase and, and kind of the way the rhythm holds the lyrics for me yeah. that really, I just find that really interesting. Is that, is this the first time you've heard that? Is that something you consciously try to address? Like what, what's the deal with that? No, I've, I've, I've been fortunate to receive like a lot of phrasing compliments, which is, um, um, I honestly joke that I'm kind of a one trick pony when it comes to that. It's like, we were just, I'm here, I'm in Massachusetts right now. We did a radio show last night with some other songwriters, some other veteran songwriters, and they were being sweet talking about how many, uh, words I throw in things. And I was like, well, I just throw a bunch of words at something if there's no depth to it. So just like throw a shit ton of words at it. But, um, I'm happy to hear the rhythm of that complimented, especially the little riff stuff. Cause that was recorded by my friend, Daniel Mendez and I in Austin, Texas, um, just the two of us did everything on that record, um, from yeah. over like three weeks of madness. Um, he was going through some stuff and I wasn't honestly in a headspace to record anything. So we just kind of drums, everything just kind of attacked it. And, um, yeah, so that's what you get. I should probably listen to that song. I should have listened to that before we did this because I haven't listened <laughs> to it or that, it, that rap. Uh, no, I, I, oh, that's so interesting to hear. I mean, did you feel did you feel like it was a creative incubator when you were working on it that like you could just let loose and this was your own little safe space to kind of do art or were you, was it really like pulling teeth to get you to get in the headspace of like, shit, I, I do have to actually record this now, even though I don't feel like it. It was a little teeth bully and um, uh. not that I, I don't think Daniel would hear this for any reason, but like, his, you know, his headspace made it challenging too. I think he wasn't probably in the space to make music. He was going through, you know, a divorce and some family stuff. And um, so it was just a very strange place to work. And I haven't made a record since. And I think oh, I can, uh, I don't know. I give a lot of that to just that process and I'm starting to work on one now, but I gave it a long break. Um, and that's not me whining. That was just, you know, you got to, force that stuff sometimes i think we did some good work in there but uh yeah it's just it's good to hear it complimented honestly well i know i'm i'm, I'm happy to because because i do feel like um you know i'm thinking about you know some of the great albums i mean rush's moving pictures and stuff like that where like they completely wigged out and it was like you know this big <sighs> uber artistic like investment but i feel like great albums or in your case a great ep there's almost always a backstory with it. I don't feel like that just happens. It's not like, yeah, it was just a day in the office. It's like, no, it's going to be either a really bizarre, I don't want to say damaging experience, but you kind of not always a great taste in your mouth that it leaves you with. Or I think a very like, holy shit, I just really went down the rabbit hole and I was just, you know, creating everything. I, I feel like that's always the case. And I say that because um, like legitimately, and honestly, this is to prove, I think that I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass. Like I listened to the first album and I was like, got it. I mean, he's talented. It didn't move me that much just personally, but I was like, yeah, I mean, he's talented. And I was like, all right, let me listen to the second album. I listened to the second one. And to me, and this is just me, I was like, to me, it was like night and day. I was like, holy shit. 
what the fuck just happened between those two? And that, and I was like, and I remember I went into the office next door and this is when we were doing the festival last year or like, you know, months before, um, <laughs> a couple months before, cause we didn't plan it for that long. Um, but I went to Lilla next door and I was like, I think this dude, Logan Vath, I was like, I think he's a fucking star. I think this is a fucking amazing album. I think, th- I think we have a chance to bring this dude on. And I think he's going to be, I, I think this is phenomenal talent. And I was like, don't listen to his first album. Again, this is me. But I was like, I was like, the, the second one, I was like, fuck, I like, I cannot get these songs out of my head. And that's been now over a year that I've been listening to the songs. And it's, I'm like, God damn it. So I'm saying all that to say just um, so interesting to hear what you were going through and what that experience was like. And that it even, if I'm hearing you right, kind of turned you off of doing records or making albums a little bit. Yeah, for a while. Um, but man, a lot's happened since then. You know, I didn't have any kids then. I wasn't married then. I didn't own a house then. I was very like on the move. Um, and it's been interesting to, you know, everything I've written since has a much different tone to it. And you're right. The tone between those first two, they were both done by the same guy um, really? in very different places. You know, he was in Brooklyn at the time. That's the record I was going back and forth to make. Gotcha. Um, yeah. I had never made a proper recording thing. I didn't really know. I was listening to this very specific set of songwriters at the time. I was probably trying to emulate. Um, but yeah, going to the Austin ones, much looser. Um, I had probably some more confidence in my writing ability and the things that I had uncovered in, in my own path. Um, so yeah, they're very different records. And it's funny because some people have the op- opposite feel. Like they prefer really? the, f- like significantly prefer the first to the second. Yeah. Um, it depends on what you like, you know, songs yeah. like Nebraska and stuff. Those are very standard, like songwritery songs that people mm-hmm. can vibe with but a hundred percent for you listening to the albums now do you feel like you've outgrown them do you feel like you still vibe with them do you still i mean because that is a lot of life changes that you've had since the second album especially i don't listen to them much um i will sometimes like if there's a songwriter festival or something that i'm applying to i'll usually choose you know what i think is strongest at that moment which will usually prompt me to listen um and I still vibe with them. I'm still really proud of some of the moments on a lot of those. You know, the song like Lost on Leaving, I wrote there. Like I wrote in the studio. I had a a, a kind of a piece of a chorus. Um, and that was like we were kind of short on songs because we didn't like a lot of the stuff I had with me and it wasn't making sense. So I was like, well, I'll just fucking I gotta I'll write this one because I like this one. So we got that one down and um that wound up being a really important song to me that I still vibe with pretty well, you know. Um but yeah, it, long story short, I, I still vibe with most of the stuff. Um, it's cool to hear the Dover compliments because I haven't gotten like I, that song hasn't been played live in a while. I'm excited to play it this week. Um, Dude, I, I, that that surprises me. I know because when I was looking and I was, you know, creeping through YouTube trying to find like videos and, and stuff. And I saw your your set for winter and all that you did, which is a great song. Um, but I was like, man, I really would love to hear what Dover sounds like live because, yeah, that that uh yeah that beat man it, i just it, it and it's i don't know i i don't want to sit here and do the chris farley fanboy thing where i just go hey remember when you did this yeah that was awesome <laughs> you know but i but i do feel like you know that um so many times i i can't tell you it's like every time i'm in the road on the road driving i've got that album on and and dover comes on and it's just um yeah it hits man that fucking refrain hits you're like 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, me, man, I appreciate that. Yeah. No, I mean, it, anyway, I, I really want you to know that. And um, yeah, it really, it, it meant a lot. I'm trying to, I'm trying to find a way to put words to what I'm thinking, but it, it really, uh, if, if, if you, all you listening haven't heard it yet, I mean, this interview should inspire you to, but fuck. Yeah. That stuff really sticks with me. I want to go back to the beginning. So mm-hmm. you were born in Nebraska. Where? Where in Nebraska? I was born in a town called Kearney, Nebraska. It's pretty oh, central. Yeah, yeah um, sure. Yeah, I was born born there and then moved around a lot. I stayed there till about five. My parents split up when I was pretty young, um, three-ish, I want to say, and then kind of moved a lot throughout the state um, until I eventually settled in, uh, well, I say settled. I was a freshman in high school when I moved with my mom in a town called Scotts Bluff, kind of out by the Wyoming border. Okay. Oh, wow. So I call that home. That's you know, that's kind of where my formative years, that's where I got into music and stuff like that. Got you. What, what was the vibe? Yeah. Why did, why did you get into music then? Was it a creative place or was it just the vistas? Was it the landscape? You know, yeah. Like, I, should, uh, I should say I got into performing music. I've always, I was always obsessed with music growing up. And I think a lot of that I can give to the fact, like I said, I moved around a lot and you know, when you're doing that, you're making friends quickly. Um, and then this is well before you can keep in touch with people. And I was too young to anyway, but you kind of keep music with you. You know, it's one thing you can take with you anywhere you go. Um, your own little personal collection of obsessions. Um, but I started performing out there in high school. Um, I mean, it's an inspiring place. It's produced a lot of good friends of mine that are, I mean, that do really incredible things. And um, I love the area. There's no place like it. That kind of sand hills meets the plains, meets the Rockies uh, area of the country. But uh, I was playing, we were playing hardcore music. You know, this is the, this is the two, this is 2005. So that whole kind of, um, I don't know. Well, post that, um, you know, kind of like where that screamo was meeting, like the death metal vibe of that, like, you know, the under oath vibe, uh, things like that were happening in the 2005 ish area. Yeah. 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 the tooth and nail records and all that, all that stuff. So I got into that stuff. That was like what I loved in, in high school, but then found, you know, um, out of Omaha, like Saddle Creek records and cursive and bright eyes and the faint and all that stuff that was still very musical, but very songwriter centered. Um, okay. and just kind of wound up very obsessed with that. This is all through high school, right? The yeah, this is music. All high school. Okay. Yep. Um, and- definitely like 15 to like 15 to 17, probably. What was your first instrument? Guitar. Okay. What else did you learn to play ultimately? Anything else? Uh, you know, like any guitarist, I play a little bass poorly. Um, I I don't play piano, unfortunately. I'm working on that now. As a well, I say working on that. I have plans to work on that as a uh, adult. Um, I'm a I'm a decent drummer. I can I can keep a beat. Um, okay. But that, that's about it. I'm kind of a one trick pony on the guitar. And even now, like I try to play more electric and, you know, obviously Dude. switching in from one guitar to another, you'll write something different. I'm a believer in that. So, yeah. so, um, what the hell, let me talk about the pro. Let me ask you about the process then. What is your mm-hmm. process then? So do you start with the lyrics? Do you start with a chord? Do you start, where does it all come from? I start with uh, lyrics, typically a tag of some sort. Um, so, you know, like we can go back to that all hell's going to break loose tag. I'll usually find something I like with that and build it to a melody and then kind of build everything around it. But the more lately I've gotten pretty stream of conscious, like in the the way that I write, um, 
like even before we hopped on, I was writing just kind of like where I'm at. Like I'm in a Wooster hotel room watching antique road show, thinking about all the stuff that my grandma used to own. Um, and yeah, th- like all that shit, just, I, I that's kind of where I've wound up enjoying the writing. Do you write every day? I do not write every day. Um, when do you write? What, t- what does it take for you to write? Um, it usually takes, so I, I mean, I have a full-time gig too, so I don't get to do music a hundred percent of the time. Um, I'm fortunate that I, it takes me a lot of places. So what usually will happen is like right now I'm, I'm in mass and we have another show tonight and then I'll go home and I'll be feeling the music really hard for, you know, well, actually mm-hmm. I'm fortunate to see you this week too. So like I get a good pocket of it this week yeah. and typically I'll get home cause the night I leave y'all, I go to Nashville for two days and two shows and come back to Virginia. So I, I anticipate high output that next that following week. It's usually like when I'm in it, um, I'm I'm the most uh, productive. But but uh, yeah, I don't know if I just went off on a tangent. Long no, story no, no, short, you, you didn't. Right? Words first always. I've almost never. I don't think I've ever written music first. So then, how because your music is not. I'm going to try to say this as derogatorily as possible because your music yeah. is not just. It it never it has never come across to me that you're just trying to shoehorn a quarter or two in to your writing. It feels like it is all of one piece. How difficult is it to layer the music in then when you are writing stream of consciousness and when you are trying to shoehorn a lot of written material into a song? I have to think that's a bit of a process. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I, you know, I've. I struggle with the band sometimes everything we've talked about, cause there are a lot of words and those words take on their own melody, like bet- like over the chord changes. So there's always mm. like a lot of conversation about how to make those changes make sense and not jumble the words up um, or rather not jumble the music up, you know, to where everything kind of has its place. Um, I don't know. That's a really good question. I've never thought of it that hard. And, and honestly, I mean, I'm, I can finger pick a bit and do some things, but I'm, when it comes to the guitar, you hand me one, I'm I'm probably going to find the same like six fucking chords. I know, you know, I'll figure and yeah. rearrange it. And I'm, I'm encouraged because a lot of the music I listen to, you watch people, it's the same, it's yeah. the same shit. Yeah. Like, no, totally. The yeah. amount of things that have been created on the same four chords is just incredible that we can keep doing it like society. So do you, you said the words start to take on a melody of their own. Can you hear some of the music? as you start to especially finish up your writing, are you like, Oh shit. Yeah. I think I know how this needs to sound. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm, um, I am not the most musically talented person, like on a theoretical level, but I'm decent at arranging and, um, I can typically hear like all instrument parts that I prefer. And I think that's just from years. I mean, that's from, from the ages of five to now, just to, well, especially five to like 18, just obsessively listening to music constantly. Like, that's all I did was dub shit off the radio. Like I just, every night, that's what I did. Just listen to music. I think it just creates decent instincts, you know, like, like anything. A hundred percent. Who are your biggest influences? If you had to, I know you've probably gone, you've gone through phases, but now yeah. looking back, who really do you ping off of the most? Um, looking back, I mean, finding like cursive and bright eyes in high school was huge for me. Um, that label Saddle Creek at the time had a band called two gallants which I'd encourage anyone to listen to. They're not active any longer. They're out of San Francisco. It's a two-piece. Um, that was one of the biggest like breakthroughs I had as a listener. Um, it was just brilliant. I listened to a lot of hip-hop, um, which I know 
heavily influences the way that I write lyrics and melody and try to fit a bunch of stuff in places. Um, my wife, listen, who do you listen to with hip hop? And hip hop is kind of like all over the place. We, um, we, I'm in Virginia now. So, you know, my wife's from Virginia beach. So she's brought me up on like, obviously I was listening to clips when I was in high school too, but it wasn't the same as like being in Virginia beach, listening to clips. And, um, so everything that breaks off that, like push T and everything like that, J Cole, uh, I also listen to a lot of stuff like Bad, Bad, Not Good. So you get this kind of like jazz, the jazz side of like where where jazz and like hip hop and R&B all meets and you get stuff like that, like Burhana, um, things like that. Um, I, I like all that stuff. I'm not picky, but my wife listens to hip hop like this tiny white woman. Um, it's pretty comical. I don't know if you've ever seen the meme of it's like, I think it's Office Space or whatever. It's like me. Yeah listening to you know nwa on my way to right to do my excel spreadsheets all day right 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 but, um let me just pick up on that since you mentioned that am am i reading too much into it i feel like i see a small death in your eyes every time you talk about the day job do you feel like you peak in valley with the music that there's kind of like a you, you hey i'm a musician right now that's right yeah this is what i do and then yeah, oh yeah i gotta shut that off for a little bit we talk about that in my household, probably to the dismay of my wife quite a bit. Yeah, we were we were discussing that last night. It's like, okay, so I have this day job that, you know, it's a good career. And uh, I'm there and I'm thinking about fucking music all the time. And then I get to go play music with my music friends and I feel square for having a day job, you know, like some of those guys are really in it. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a there's a I'm always kind of trying to tread that middle ground. Last year, I, I uh, being up here reminded me like. I had the pleasure of playing Newport Folk Fest through Operation Encore, which was massive. I mean, one of the coolest things I've ever done. And yeah, the whole fucking time, man, like I was thinking, I was like, you know, I felt like one foot in, one foot out. Like I didn't really belong. So that that creeps its way into the tunes a lot, too. That kind of impostery feel because it's not it's not isolated to one world. It's both worlds. I feel very like off. That's so really interesting. Off. Yeah. Well, OK, so I, I keep getting distracted by these tangents that I cannot ignore. But let me try to stay focused on what happened to you next. You're in Nebraska. You're playing in bands through high school. Where did you think this was all leading? Did you have it in your mind that you were going to make music a career or was something else popping up for you? I really wanted to, you know, I'd, I think I would have loved to go to music school or something um, like many other lower middle-class family. There wasn't like a lot of huge college fund for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't the most focused student. Uh, so that was probably out of the question. Um, I still had like, you know, my, my folks, uh, those split up. I think they both kind of, they're very much like a don't quit your day job type of, of folk, mm -hmm. um, which definitely uh, I, I let him be impression on me. Like to this day, clearly as we have this conversation, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so that was kind of what I was thinking. I, I wasn't very good at it back then. I, I don't know that I am now either. So enter my next move, which was to join the Navy, which is, you know, I've got a bunch of family that had been in the Navy. So it wasn't a strange thought for me. Okay. Um, was your family supportive of it? Were they down for that? Yeah, my dad always jokes like he was really worried. He didn't know what I was going to do, which I laugh at because, you know, I was 17. So I, I'm not going to be stressed about what my kid's doing at 17 as long as he's like, you know contributing something but um yeah so I, I i did that and i really desperately wanted to leave nebraska too so is that why the navy 
Um, yeah, well, the, go on the water, the go Navy see places. Probably, yeah, the Navy was probably because of my family history, starting back. You know, my grandfather was in World War II, and then um, keep it moving. But uh, down the line, my I still have active duty cousins in the Navy. Um, so I was always it was just probably the least. It was the most familiar to me. Okay. Okay. Um, also, yeah, the water aspect was cool. I'd grown up in a landlocked state, so. Was there any thought in the back of your mind that the Navy A could either be a career or B music was somehow going to have to, you, you weren't going to lose the music altogether. You're like, yeah, I'm good to the Navy, but I have a plan to bring to how this is going to tie back into my music or, you know, what was the plan? Uh, what was your, your outlook? At the time, I think my outlook was that I would use the Navy as kind of like a buffer to, um, to get, you know, to gain some experience, to get some travel and, and attack music on the back end of it. Okay. Um, so you knew yeah. it wasn't going to be a career. Yeah, I had, there was a moment, I mean, there was a moment, um, I guess probably, you know, I only did four years. So around the three and a half year mark that I was kicking it around, but I knew that if I signed up for another four that I'd probably stayed at 20, at least 20, you know? So I just, I knew, I knew myself well enough to know that. So I, I wanted to break break it um which i'm thankful for i think that was the right decision all around for me personally especially now like having a family i can't imagine um the guys that leave that's i i, I don't know i'm just i'm not personally built for it what uh what'd you do in the navy what was your job i was an aerographer's mate um uh, so i did meteorology and oceanography um was that foisted on you did you pick it did you seek that out did you know what you're getting into uh, no, so you know, I went to Denver Meps and took the ASVAB and all that stuff, and um, you know, they kind of kick back what what the test says you'd be good at, or right. whatever algorithm they use. And uh, my recruiter was like, "Hey, I've never seen this job come up before in all the years I've been doing this." He's like, "There's like a thousand people in the whole military that do it." He said, "You should probably do it." And the other one I wanted to do was like an IT because my cousin was IT in the Navy. I was like, "Well, I really." I don't do the IT thing. And he's like, I just, he's like, you can do whatever you want, but I would, I would do this because I've never seen a pop up. I was like, cool, I'll do it. He was right, man. It's like, you know, my A school class had like 10 people in it where wow. it, it's a 1500 person community, I want to say, um, in the whole military. So when you go out to see, you've got, it's like you and one other person and no one knows what you do. It's the coolest. Like, is it a fuck day. you job? Is it basically like, hey, you don't know how to do this. So fuck you. Give me some space. And no matter what your rank, yeah, you get a little bit of respect. To- yeah, I mean it's well, yeah. So ops intel briefs every night on the on the cruiser. I'm like the only E5 in there. You know, it's all this yeah. all this brass. And then me, I get up and I talk about radar ranges, and they're like, "Oh, thanks, AG2." I'm like, "Thanks, guys." <laughs> it's just I don't know, it, but <laughs> that's there's been a theme of shit just working out like that. Sometimes you know, it's funny. Um, and but also the military's super supportive of music, and like the military, in from my experience, is very supportive of. T- the talents that anyone has, whatever that may be. Like I've seen them nurtured in my time. Um, people will pick out on it. Like when we would pull into port and the captain would make me play guitar, like for these, um, we'd bring in like dignitaries or whatever. And, and he'd be like, AJT, would you, um, would you, we'll hook you up. And would you just play guitar for like a couple hours? I'm like, yes, I'll do that. That sounds way more chill than, you know, were you just play? Were you, were you like, were you like the piano player in a hotel type thing, like playing behind the conversation, or were you singing as well? Yeah, so, so I wasn't singing. So the USS Monterey in 2011 was doing this uh, ballistic missile defense thing, and they were going all over the world, um, showing off the capabilities of the system. 
And one of the things they wanted to do, which wound up getting implemented, was like putting those on land. And so anyway, they were bringing all this, all these folks from the countries. And yeah, I was like the piano player in the hotel, just in the corner, picking in my dress blues. Um, <laughs> what did it do for out. your guitar playing? Did you like, did you continue to brush up and study and go, oh shit, I got to do more than four chords then? I mean, you got to be uh, yeah, doing I mean, a bunch a, of stuff, right? Yeah, you get to explore a bit. And my, you know as much as I love playing listening rooms and stuff, there are nights you play a busy brewery where you just start messing around. You learn a lot about the instrument when no one's listening. So, um, That's, Do you think it made you an, a tangibly better guitar player doing those, those gigs? Oh, probably. Um, we, uh, we, we pulled into a lot of ports and I did that a lot of times. So yeah, I mean, it, you know, you just, anytime you're doing that, even sitting around in a house doing it, you just learn about the instrument more, you know? It was practice, really, is all it was. But it was a cool experience. Were you writing at the same time, just on your own? Not really. I mean, in the Navy, I was trying to write songs, but looking back, they were a little, probably a little too on the nose. Um, you know, especially in your 19 and you're in the middle of the ocean, you're probably going to wind up writing about some stupid shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's Not fair. That- no that you're allowed i mean hey that's that's the uh you got to write what you know you're right there you might as well yeah so three and a half years into your four-year enlistment um was there a thought that music could be a viable path for you since you'd thought hey i'm gonna do music on the back end did you were you kind of ramping up for that were you like hey let me get my shit together let me make sure i'm writing material or was there any kind of pressure that you were putting on yourself to get ready i did my first record while i was still in the navy um so yeah i was i was kind of ramping up there was a couple there were a couple like moments that were encouraging to happen martin guitar um i won like a songwriting contest through them at 19 or 20 and won um like this d28 that i'm holding right now like so there were a couple things that nodded to like okay you know maybe i could do some of this stuff um and then I uh, released a record right before I got out of the Navy, or maybe it was like right after, I think it might've been like the month after I got out and that was encouraging at the time. Um, so yeah, I was ramping up to do it. I, I like many others, I think I'd like started bartending um, mm-hmm. and then wound up in that whole scene. But um, yeah, I had plans to do, it. I was trying to stay on the road. I, I got linked up with the guy in New York. We were, we were making that record. He had made some pretty big songwriter records um so yeah it was definitely all my intention was to sink my teeth in there how did it feel to actually start recording then i mean you're still in the navy so -hmm. there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance right a little bit of schizophrenia like you gotta okay shuck one thing and you know drive up to new york and start recording it but did it feel like i'm home did it feel like this is progress did it feel good or was it nerve-wracking what was the just what was the emotional state doing all that well, it was nerve wracking, man. I, it was met probably with the same impostery feel that, you know, we already discussed. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, it was when it was done, um, especially that second EP or that, I guess that first EP depends on how you look at it. There's three in the world. One of them's harder to find, but um, that in the presence of the kingdom, when that was done and got picked up on, I was out of the military at this point, but you know, Spotify picked up a couple of the songs for like their their playlists, and mm-hmm. that was hard to do at the time. Like it didn't really happen. Um, that was encouraging. There's been a lot of really encouraging moments to this day. You know, there are a lot of encouraging moments. Did you? I, I said something before, and I'm not sure I'm accurate in saying it. So let me run it by you. 
did you actually have to, did you feel like you had to shuck a part of yourself to be in the Navy or did you feel like you could be yourself and that it wasn't that big a, a personal gear shift when you had to go to the studio and then go back in uniform? Um, that wasn't, I never felt much of that. I always felt like I could pretty much be myself. Okay. And I'm a firm. I mean, you can maybe speak to it. I know a lot of us can. Like I, I have always considered the military just like a sampling of the overall demographic. You know, you get all shapes and sizes. So I never, I never felt uncomfortable being myself um, in the military. And like I said, it was always met, the music side was always really met with support from the command. And um, to, I mean, to this day, I'll see people that I served with at a show or something. Um, I made some like lifetime friends through music that were part of the Navy, but okay. But great question. So when the album comes out, what's your thought? Do you see that there's a tangible step forward? Are you like, okay, I'm at this level and now I know, and now I know what level I'm at and I know where I'm trying to get and I'm feeling good about it. Or is it more of a sense of, are you screaming in the wind? Are you like, yeah, that went out there and I don't know. I, I still don't know who the fuck I am or where I stand in this business. Yeah. Um, I would say probably more the latter. I'm, I'm not the most disciplined person. So when that first one came out, there were probably a lot of things I should have done differently. Um, maybe should have placed myself in a different geographic location. Um, this would have been, you know, 2011, uh, 12, 13 ish was really when a lot of my peers went to like Nashville and Austin and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Some of who remain there and some of whom have, have left, but I never made that move. Um, I wouldn't say that I regret that, especially now, but you know, this whole world, the whole music world is networking and conversations and what small things you do. So only now, man, in my thirties, am I getting back to like playing fests and like, I'm back at like the ground level of, of, of what feels good. You should have been here seven, eight, nine, 10 years ago. Yeah, I probably should have been more focused on on some of that work. I think I had a, you know, I think there were moments that happened, like getting paired up with Daniel, who was not an easy guy to work with. I was like, oh, that just happened. Look at look at us. We're on a roll. And then the Spotify thing I told you about, you know, yeah. you're like, oh, this broke this broke 100,000 plays like that. That should, I don't know. There were, I guess there was a lot of I was I probably wasn't putting in the work, you know, like these things happened organically. And that was really cool. Uh, but I wasn't like watering those things. Um, do you have do you have any mentorship? helping you through that because that is a lot of wickets to kind of figure out what you need to yeah. do and how you need to do it do you have management at the time i did not I, and i've never had any sort of management um there wasn't a lot of mentorship there was a there, there's a band out of north or virginia beach area called may m-a-e um and one of those guys still plays with me but at the time one of the guys was playing keys in the band with me and he was probably the closest thing to a mentor i had like in terms of like because they had done it you know they'd been on yeah capital or whatever and he's like well we got to do this this that and um i don't know man like i like i said i probably just didn't put the work in at the time or at least looking back maybe i can say that um but i was you know 23 and of course had motorcycles and you know bartending and i liked writing songs but um yeah i don't know it's a tough one to answer especially to look back on no it is and it's not it's not to ding you on i mean god there for the grace of God, go all of us. Um, I mean, that's, and, and certainly the way that you organically were finding success seems to make a lot of sense um, that you wouldn't necessarily know. How are you supposed to dip your oar in the water? It's like, well, things have kind of been working out the way I've been doing. So, you know, 
that's a that's kind of a tricky thing to thread for you did you ever consider may, having a band starting a band up at a later age or was it always it's really got to be me and then i'll find players to play gigs with me but but this has really got to come from me so my only hesitation on a band even to this day cuz we still i still work with one is back to the not being the most like musically talented like if for me if i'm not writing at least the song itself mm. um it's hard for me to you know what i mean like i don't speak music it's easier for me to describe where i'm at and like how we can all make this work together i've still like to this day like i would like to start a band with a name that is not my name and work mm. on that stuff i have the people i think i would do it with um we haven't done it yet but um and we're all, I think we all know each other well enough and communicate well enough to, to make that a reality. But I'm not like the type of cat that can just walk into a studio with a, and rip a solo over someone's stuff. You know, I just don't have the skill set. So short answer is yes, but long answer is kind of no. Do you think friendship is crucial to a band? That there has to be that rapport, there has to be that ability to communicate. And that's why you see so many bands that start in high school and make it big together but it's kind of hard to slap one together once you reach a certain age. Yeah. I find in my experience that friendship has a way of better eliminating my insecurity. Um, so the better I know someone and the more that I know them to be honest um, with me, then I don't have to think about if they're being honest with me, you know? So bringing in studio and you would get a totally different answer from some of my friends, you know, that have a lot of relationships with studio players. Um, and the nice thing about studio players is they don't really care. Like they're do, they're literally there to do a job. So they're not probably not judging much of anything, but, um, yeah, you know, my closest musical confidants, if you will, are some of my best friends and the people that I, whose opinion matters most to me. And yes, I play best with them and probably always will. So, um, what's your vetting process before you release something? Do you run it by them? Do you make a point of going, Hey, I want you to hear this. Or do you have the confidence when you do it to go? No, nah, this is pretty spot on. I, I know my true north and I'm I'm on target with this. I'm getting better about, I think, like, uh, I'm getting better about knowing it. It's funny, you know, obviously we have Instagram and stuff like that these days. So um, if I have friends be like, dude, you got to stop putting anything new you write on Instagram. And it won't be a surprise, you know, because I will. Like, it's like a testing the waters. Yeah. Okay, let's check this like ratio out. And if, uh, you know, at least a third of the people that watched it liked it, it's probably an okay song. And I'll take it down and maybe we'll use it. And that's a dumb fucking way to do anything. I'll be the first to say it. But um, on a smaller scale, a lot of the things that people haven't heard publicly, like, yeah, that's kind of my vetting process. I'll write it and then I'll um, I'll send it off to like, there's like four people that'll get a voice memo that I really respect their input and their changes. Um one of whom like, you know, has made some really subtle changes just on a chord level to some of my songs that impacted them greatly. Mm. Um, and uh, just little, you know, little, just second opinions that you don't, you don't think about that stuff when you're in it, you yeah. know, from like anything, sometimes that second eye helps out, but. Is it a nice to have, or is it a need to have? If you get uh, the feedback. Yeah, it's, um, it started as a need to have, and I think it's becoming more of a nice to have. Okay. I think, I think despite it not being what I'm doing all the time, I'm probably more confident as a songwriter um, into what I do now than I've probably ever been. So, okay. yeah. What are you most insecure about when it comes to your work? Is it because of how you write 
and that there is so much verbiage that you're trying to pack into a song or what what is it that makes you insecure because to me it seemed like you've got a pretty well-worn way of operating yeah i mean that's a really good question and a really difficult one to answer um i think a lot of it just kind of leans back on on it just not being the world i'm fully immersed in all the time um i think that's probably where the bulk of the insecurity comes from um but that i mean that could we could have like a a bottle of bourbon between us and have like a really deep dive and and the you know the emotion behind yeah. the insecurity. We could go full therapeutic right now, and I could tell you like I'm sure it stems from moving around a bunch as a kid and never having like formidable friendships, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean that's just part of my personality. I've always had um, that kind of lumen with me. But I love performing. I'm not like on a stage or something. It's not a you know I, I feel very comfortable in that space. Um, it's just the the work that goes into it. I just I don't know. I've, I've always admired others work much more than my own. Sure. Um, and you know, I, I've heard many other people say the same. It's just like to exist in, uh, in the same space as some of my peers on a songwriting level and play certain shows with them. It's, I'm still like surprised that I even get to do it, you know, um, often. So. I, I don't think it's that uncommon. I don't think what you're no. feeling is that that, that imposter syndrome, God knows. Uh, I, I, yeah. I feel like that's, very par for the course. So let me just ask, do you ever see yourself giving up music professionally? Um, no. Well, I never see myself giving up music, period. Um, the professional side is tough. Um, there's a whole world of music I've never even dabbled in, which is songwriting, you know, like actual songwriting for others. Mm-hmm. I've never even touched that world. It's not that it's the easiest thing to break into. It's not like I could just decide to do it tomorrow, but that's something I'm interested in that I stay interested in. Um, I'm very focused on my young children right now. Yeah. Like that takes a lot of my brain power, happily so. Um, but no, well, man, I, well, I, well, that, well, that's why I ask. just to be clear. That's why I ask because I think you, one's life does change. It's one thing to be a hedonistic 20 year old and go mm-hmm. bitch. And Hey, I'm, I'm kind of marinating in my own juices here and I'm able to put it out there and I've got tons of feels and all that. But it's another thing where it's like, I got to put bread on the table. I've got a family. I want to support the family. You got kids where you go more than anything else. I need them to be good. So it's not an, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely not a, uh, it's not a negative. I think it's, but it is a, a question. I think that everyone has to reckon with. I'm just interested where you are in that then. Yeah. No, man. It's, it's a really, it's a really good question. And it's very topical for me right now. Um, with stuff like next week and like right now, mass kind of the family has kind of a vetting process, like pros, cons, um, typically financial is not kind of a part of it. It's like one of the coolest things that I, because of my career is like, I get to kind of decide for me if it's worth it. Um, and then we, you know what the family gets to decide. And, but for me, I, I like to play music in places that, that I just enjoy. I just want to have fun doing it. You know, I don't play, I could play breweries five nights a week and probably make really good money. I do not enjoy that. Um, so when, you know, we first discussed what, what Savage Wonderground is and all that, it's like, okay, so I'll look at that and I'll analyze it. And, um, and then we had the, the zoom and you kind of broke down how you wanted to flow. I was like, that's fucking awesome. Like, yeah, of course I would love to do that. Like I would do that for free any day of the week and I would travel to do it. And because I work the job, I work, I'm, I can do that. Um, whereas if I didn't do that, you know, I might have to be like, well, I can't do it unless, you know, you give me right. a grant. Right. Um, right. so there are benefits to the bed that I've made. Um, 
and we were, like I said, we were discussing that yesterday. Without music, I don't get to meet you. I don't get to have this discussion with you. I, I don't get to meet you next week, which I'm so stoked to do and meet everybody involved. Um, so no, I don't see myself giving it up because it's it's created such cool opportunities. Um, and those opportunities have bred really cool friendships. And for me, man, like whether it's this or throwing a fucking clay pot, like that's what I'm in this for. It's like meet interesting people and like just get to know more people. And music is an incredible vessel for that, I've found. So, and I, you know, and it's a little self-serving too, which, you know, is nice, but uh, it just brings really cool people into my life in short. So no. Do you notice a difference between your subject matter that you write about or your performance on stage before you were married and after you're married with a family? Definitely. Yeah. Um, um, in what ways? Um, that's a good question. I think there is, and this is just my opinion. It could be full of shit. I think there's a confidence you get in being a parent. Like, that it's difficult. Like it's not an easy thing. And a lot of people don't know how difficult it actually is. Um, and props to them. But uh, we, my wife and I was having this discussion. She had a conversation with someone that she was never a huge fan of um, who had become a mother recently. And like she, uh, and she was never a big fan. Like their conversations were, the, the, the gal was kind of quiet and just like, didn't seem terribly, con- this is conversations weren't great for her and whatever. It wasn't a big deal. But anyway, she wanted to have a conversation with her. The woman became a, a mother about a year ago and had a fresh conversation. And she's like, I had this conversation with so-and-so and it was like, wonderful. Like it was, a, mm. we had such a good vibe. Like we're going to grab coffee. She's like, what is that? And I was like, I don't know. I said, if I had to speak to it, so there's probably like, there's a confidence boosted in this thing that you have to do every day. Like, like I, I don't know how to describe it. Um, I, I need to better try to pick apart my language, but yes, I do notice it. Um, I'm a lot less loud on stage and loud in like a showy way. Um, I have a fucking mm. thing to prove to anyone, Chris. Yeah. Like, I don't, you know, like, I don't, what am I, I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody. I, my buddy, Dylan Warnex, a songwriter in Nashville. He's on a podcast this last week. He works construction full time. And, uh, he is the most, like one of the most brilliant songwriters I personally know. And I would encourage anyone to check him out, but he had a quote on there where he's talking about, you know, he's like my whole life. I was, I was, um, I was afraid that, uh, you know, I'd, be a songwriter and i'd be digging ditches he's like i'm already digging the fucking ditches now he's like so i might as well write the songs i want to write and i was like dude so well said it's like you know if i don't have anything to prove i got my family i love them we're not going anywhere so when i get to sit down and write it's just for me and and that's a really nice feeling um so and in that breeds a very different stage presence like it's just you know you know i've talked about this on the show uh, multiple times, but the kind of the necessary, and this is my terminology, this is not very accurate psychological terminology, but the necessary narcissism of doing art. Because if you don't care about what you're doing, nobody else is. So as a result, it does make anyone that's trying to have any artistic pursuit a little narcissistic. And I do put that in air quotes because they have to be focused on it because if they don't, no one else is going to. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like that comes very easily in the late teens and the early twenties. But then when you get more and more responsibilities in life, um, you can't afford to have many parts of yourself that are, let's call it narcissistic. (laughs) The rough edges have to be worn smooth and you kind of, you can't fight those battles. And for some people it's weird. It's counterintuitive, but I feel like it does make their art better because suddenly it's not about them. 
And for some reason, that frees them up to actually explore really interesting, nuanced things because they're not trying to find an audience. They're not trying to establish their whole identity based off what they do on stage. And then for other people, I guess it might be different. But I, I, I've been interested. I'm interested in people that aren't coming out of the pipeline as artists. You know, going doing the Mickey Mouse Club at nine and then going on to you know one one big artistic career because that isn't the norm. And I think there's a lot of I think it's like politics. If you're a career politician, there's a lot of problems with that. And it does not say you can't be that. And there aren't good things that come of it. But it's like if you're a career artist and that's all you are, I feel like sometimes there's a lot of colors in life that go that won't get captured by you and and that you can inhibit yourself. That's not a question. I'm throwing that out there, though, to riff on as you see fit. Oh, yeah. I mean, I totally agree with you. Um, Some of my favorite songwriters are people that didn't, quote unquote, make it until, you know, their mid to late 30s, if not their 40s. Look at like the John Prines, you know, these aren't people that were successful out of the gate um and that life i think breeds perspective and that perspective breeds humility and that humility breeds like you not being an intolerable fucking asshole when you're you know because the people you talked about who like and i'm not saying this about all musicians that are successful at a young age but like the people that don't have things that humble them and and get them out of that narcissistic bubble of the 20s as you said like i don't really enjoy being around a lot of those people to shoot you straight you know um and um so yeah, I'm right there with you. Like there's a, I don't know if you, Lori McKenna, I don't know if you've ever heard of her, a really great songwriter, um, has written like monster hits, but you know, she got into songwriting cause it's like, you know, she was just singing lullabies to her kids and, and like doing that. Now she's, I mean, she's truly like one of the most respected songwriters out there. One of my favorites, but, um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm totally there with you. I, I, did you feel like the military did that for you in any way? Did that kind of mature you past where you would have otherwise been? Yeah, I, for sure. I think anytime you're put into an organization that you're, um, you know, a member of some, I, I, I was going to say just a number, but I, I, I think that discredits uh, some of it, but uh, yeah, you that the military doesn't really give you an opportunity to be, you know, overly, overly self-focused. Right. You know, right. I mean, it's just not built to, which is great. I mean, more people should do it for a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, tell me if I'm, if I'm off on this, cause I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean, do, is there any party that feels like you would not have been the singer songwriter you've become had you not been in the, had, if you'd, if you'd had the money or the ability or whatever, the, the circumstances, the opportunities that you didn't have to join the Navy, you could have gone to college or done whatever and gone out and lived a Jack Kerouac you know, on the road kind of life, doing music and all that. Do you think you'd be further along or would you not be further along or would it just be wildly different? It would probably be wildly different um, if I had to guess. Um, man, it's it's tough to imagine. I mean, I would be thankful at this age. I, I think I would have wasted a lot more time in my in my, you know, early years had I had like money or something. Um, cause I don't, I, I just don't think that I had the work ethic, um, to sit down and work. Um, now, you know, if, if a bunch of money fell in my pocket, like, yeah, it'd be amazing to see what kind of work could get done in even a week of just dedicated work, you know, like music work. Um, but yeah, Chris, that's a tough one, man. I, I imagine it would be a very, very different path. Like, I don't really know what it would look like. Um, 
I imagine it still results in me playing music because it's therapeutic for me. Um, if, there, if you have like a cliche bell on your podcast, I'm just ding it just there. But <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I'm, I, I don't know what that looks like to tell you the truth. Um, I like to think my, I like to think the bulk of who I am and who I've always been is because of my upbringing. And, mm-hmm. you know, so if you change that completely, I don't, I don't even know. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. for sure. Um, I don't know how else to phrase this except how I'm going to. Was there suffering in your Navy career? Did you feel you suffered? Did you, did you was there, how much trauma, how much, and, and I'm not looking for extreme stuff, but I mean, um, because one of, to me, one of the marks of a military life, doesn't matter how long the enlistment is, um, a high volume of significant emotional events in a relatively compressed period of time. And that doesn't always need to mean, you know, life and death stakes, but I mean, even, I mean, I'm given very glib examples, but like going to maps and oh, motherfucker, I gotta, we gotta get up at three in the morning and you know, your first boot camp haircut. And this is the first time you've seen yourself without hair, you know, those kind of things. I mean, did, did you feel like there were those kind of barriers? Like there was that kind of, um, inoculation to certain degrees of trauma that you went through in the military that you tangibly were like, yeah, I'm a bit more resilient. I'm a bit tougher or whatever for having gone through this. And it kind of shucks a lot of the immaturity off. Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, yes, I do feel that way. You know, I had, I'd grown up leaving a lot, leaving, um, you know, parents at Christmas and, you know, getting on, you know, at, at seven years old, I was flying solo from Lincoln, Nebraska to Minot, North Dakota with a layover in Minneapolis where, you know, someone would chaperone me, you know? So from a very young age, I was put in, in places that I was by myself and kind of navigating. Um, so fast forward to MEPS, you know, you're with your recruiter navigating. That one wasn't so big. One of the biggest for me was that airplane ride, the basic training, you know, and this is 2008. So I don't know what it's like now, but you know, you get there and you're allowed to make one phone call. It's like, Hey, I'm here. And then you put all your shit in the box. Um, those are some tangible moments that I remember like sitting at O'Hare airport, you know, cross-legged on the ground, waiting on the bus and then going through the, um, you know, the, the administrative process to get into your, your, you know, your division or whatever they call it. Um, but remember I was talking about how like little things happen that were just take a little bit of like, I got put into a co-ed division, you know, which anyone not in a co-ed division will always be like, it's the easiest, it's bullshit. And very, very well may be, I don't have anything to, to uh, relate it to, but like little things happen that were quirky and um, back even just becoming a meteorologist, like silly shit. But yeah, man, there, and, and then fast forward to your first deployment, you know, like, or your first underway. Um, that's such a huge emotional thing. I had been on, I had seen the ocean like one time before I was on it. Um, and you go out, you know, you fall asleep cause you, you get on board at like, you know, two, three in the morning and then you fall asleep. And then of course, you know, your older enlisted friends are like, all right, come outside, man. Like, let's go to the smoke deck. You'll like, see what this is all about. And you walk out and you see it. Like I'll never get that back. Right. You only, you only get that once and it's huge. Um, d- traumatic. No. Um, but, but mind blowing. Yeah. Mind blowing. And you only yeah. get that one. You know, those, there's only so many of those moments that are that are like that. And, and my military experience was not like some of the people that we associate with that had like 
some like truly horrific stuff go down, you know, and, and I'm in this, this songwriting collective called Operation Encore, which is what led me to mass right now. And, um, you know, some of those guys have like some truly traumatic stuff that they've had to do, you know, um, and they talk about it. And, and I've always back to the imposter thing. I'm like, well, shit, I was just a meteorologist, you know, given the captain is his right. cloud. Right. Um, but, which, uh, which is everybody. Which is everybody. It doesn't matter what you fucking did. Everybody well, I, goes, I well, I wasn't that guy. You know, uh, I might have done this, but that guy really did something. And then that guy's going, well, I might have done that, but that guy really, you know, it's. it's. In a, you know, I've seen that uh, through the yeah. community. And it's, it's it's really um, it's really wild, you know, because it is like that. And it like leads down to, well, uh, and so and so's dead. So it's like, you know, everyone's one degree from like what the actual thing is anyway. But, but yeah, man, I, I think at 18 years old, which I was those moments of um, separation and being apart and, you know, uh, cell phones at that time, you couldn't, they were just weren't connected to you all the time. Those, that's good for you. Like, I think it's good for you. Um, yeah. Just navigating it. I don't know. Anytime you're left to your own devices to figure something out, I think is good. I think it's, you're forced to grow. Um, that and, is, and, yeah. Yeah. That, no, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, of course. Let's push to now mm -hmm. so where are you in the process right now so you're working on new stuff i know when you did the right loud the other week you had a new song on mm -hmm. um how often are you writing is it coming more now or are you do you feel like you're revving up for another album or are we just still for another album i've started tracking some stuff in my home studio that'll probably be shipped out to others to mix and play on um i'm probably writing Probably right. Honestly, man, like one keeper a month at this point, but I'm pretty, I've got a pretty deep backlog of stuff that I want to use. Um, like any other writer, I think the hardest part is making sure you're getting the good old stuff and not just the new stuff. Cause you lose a bunch of, of decent material. I think, um, my hope is to have at least another EP out by year's end, um, mm. and utilize some of the gear that I've gotten, um, Long story short, when COVID happened, I was about to make a record. And instead of doing that, because COVID happened, I took all that money that I'd been saving for that and just built a studio in my backyard. Holy crummy. Um, so um, that was kind of a leap of faith because I'm not really the engineer type. So it was kind of a commitment to learn that world a little bit, at least enough to get good tracks out of myself. Um, so we have that, which is really cool to have. Did that help? Did that help your process to be able to go wow. there and do stuff and mix stuff anytime you want? Yes and no. I mean, okay. you know, anytime you, uh, I, I don't know. It's like the more tools you have sometimes, the less you, it's like, it, it helps to be able to do that and have the place to do it as good. I think it it's sometimes underutilized, but, but again, you know, I got a 15 month old by the time he goes to bed and my four year old's in bed an hour later, like kind of tired. So it is wonderful to have. And it is a great play. The band practices in there. And um, it is nice to have a spot to write and work because um, I typically write all rigged up. So I'll write while I record like a mic's out, headphones on. I usually set it to the way I would want a track to sound. And then I'll write like I'll perform right, if that makes any sense. <laughs> so how long are those recordings then? You got to go for a minute, right? Because you're kind of editing live almost well i don't rec i don't even record i just monitor and just write okay. so it's basically just more about getting in the headspace of like how would this sound on a record mm. and and then you and then i make decisions based off what i'm hearing so it's like oh i, I would like it to you know i don't know 
I know other people that do it that way too. Um, it's not, you know, I'm writing in a hotel right now, so it's not, it's not the only way I write, but when I'm at home, that's how I like to do it. So I know the song that you are, one of the songs you played on our right loud seemed a lot more upbeat kind of, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if impish is the right word. I don't know. I just had it. It was, it was an upbeat kind of uh, cheerful piece. Are you noticing that the, that your subject matter is changing a lot or that, or is it, is that just my perception? I think it's, um, it's the same subject matter taken different shape, you know, instead of like, I still write a lot about change and um, stuff like that, but it's like, I noticed that I'm watching change instead of like from this sad perspective that I may have once seen it, like now I'm watching it from the perspective of my kids changing or like I pick up on subtle changes that I wouldn't have like the reliability of my, and I have lyrics like about like this, the, the reliability of December, January and like my, my camellia tree blooming. Like yeah, that's, become, you know, for year five in my home, like I've just become to rely on these, these prompts and, um, which I think spring is like my most active writing time. And I think it's just based in all that, like, but it's still all change based stuff, nostalgia based still. Like I still have a problem with that. And I, I write about it a lot. Um, Does, I'm that, still help you? Does that help what? you get out of the past? Does it help you stay in the present? Do you find that like once you've written about it, you can kind of let it go or does it keep you marinating and in, in thinking about the past? Probably keeps me marinating a bit. Um, you know, my dad still lives way out west too, so like I don't see him a lot. That that type of stuff creeps in. Um, just uh, yeah, I, I would say it's it. I still marinate in it quite a bit. I've always had a pretty, pretty like a uh, pretty tough time with nostalgia for whatever reason. Yeah, sure. And home, uh, right? Home is always a bit of a theme, right? Home is a bit of a theme, and whatever that may be, whatever that yeah. may mean. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it probably yourself, also, sorry. Do you still find yourself writing about it a whole lot? Yeah. Um, if not like, you know, in a past tense and a present for sure. I mean, I've got, I've got songs about like my literal house now that I've written. Um, and I think, man, that's, I think again, that that's probably shaken up just by, uh, moving around so much when I was a kid, like sure. there was a sure. you know, consistent spot to call that. Um, even when we discuss Nebraska, it's like, well, the place I consider home, you know, I lived there three years. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's that I, I'm, I work to become more of a storytelling writer when I can. And I'm, I, I just wrote a song for a gal in Virginia. Like I got paired up with this um, older gal and wrote a song that exercises like that to write, like storytelling songs are always really fun for me. Um, I love that, that style of writing. It's never been what I, what I do naturally, but. Do you always think of yourself as a protagonist in your songs or that perspective as being one of the protagonist? Or do you sometimes think, no, I'm writing for a character. This is a character really. And that and I'm writing for that perspective. Yeah. Um, I've never been great at writing from a character's perspective. Um, honestly, um, even that song I just referenced for that gal, like I, it was, you know, we inter I interviewed her for an hour or so and it was all part of that process, but it was more, even the song that came out, it's all her story, but it was also very much like how it made me feel, like how the story made me feel. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So, no, I've never been great for songs. I've never been great at writing characters. Like I write little shit for like my kids and stuff that that yeah. I think I can find with um, that stuff. But for whatever reason, I don't know. Songs are personal to me. I don't know. Like yeah. you know, yeah. 
describe it. Are you finding more of a sense of humor in your work, though? Because you talked about like, hey, I'm writing from a different emotional state a lot of the time. Because it's because I mean, loss on leaving is it's not a bummer, but it's sober. I mean, it's like, hey, you yeah. know, this is th- these are you know, you, I, I have so many visuals that come to me every time I listen to it. But it, now in that last song, I was like, whoa, this is a whole different thing. Uh, yeah, so, I think you're talking about Rolling Quarters. I think it was the song. I yeah, played Rolling Quarters. Yeah, that's right. Now. Yeah, man, I I I love comedy. Like I I don't take myself too seriously, honestly, and um, I would like that to be able to come through um, in song. Um, I have a song that's like you know it's a uh, maybe I'll learn to surf this summer, catch a couple waves, or perhaps purchase a paddleboard a bit slower and steadier pace. Um, I got golf clubs on the top shelf in my garage, just waiting. Um, from that time a couple years ago, I thought I might learn to swing them. God damn it, I need a hobby that's not just struggling to sing. Try to impress some friends of mine who are much better than, at this than me. You know, like I, I don't, I don't take myself seriously, and I want that to. In in moving forward with my music, I would like that to come out more. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Am I throwing you back in the time machine then by asking you to do all those songs at Warner Ground? No, because <laughs> no. I was like, you know, there was a couple years ago. I was like, shit, maybe I'm asking him to go back and like. You know, uh, sorry, dude, you got to rake up that grave and dive back into that a little bit. No, no, there's no, there's not. I mean, well, there's songs I wouldn't like to play. Those aren't any of them, though. Um, not at all. I think it's, I think it's going to be a really cool way to tie all this stuff together. Well, I mean, you were definitely the, uh, your music was the inspiration for a lot of where we started at. Did you hear the latest thing on like how we tweaked it based on Charles? Did you hear any of that? It's fucking so. weird. So. I didn't realize this. So Charles, and this is why I, I needed to do the podcast with all you guys earlier, but especially with him, because he brought up stuff I didn't know. So everything you would, your album was like the inspiration for so many of the ideas. Like we talked about on the zoom. I was like, oh yeah. Okay. I know I, I've got an idea. You know, you're doing all these, all the storytelling. Got it. I think, I think this is, this is stuff we can riff off of. And then I'm talking to Charles and, you know, he's been going to principal gallery where the show is for like 25 years. Well, he met his boyfriend there 20 plus years ago. The guy was an infantry Marine. Charles was in the Navy. It was during don't ask, don't tell. Mm -hmm. They start seeing each other for four years. And then, uh, his boyfriend got killed, got blown up in an ID in Afghanistan. And Charles found out about it first because he was monitoring the TS clearance stuff. So he knew about attacks when they were happening and the family couldn't find out for another week. And he knew about all that. They met at principal gallery. Holy shit. So I'm like, so he tells me that. And then I like, we did the podcast. I like ended it. I was like, all right, cool. Wow. That's amazing story and whatever. And then like a week later, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm like, dude, how do we not bring that into the show? I was like, I'm like having you try to manufacture stories about shit. Like, we can't be in the very space and not acknowledge that. And he's come out like he's written stories about his boyfriend and about the death and all that. But I was like, cool, but let's make that a leaping off point because you're in the fucking space that you guys met. And he's like, you know, it's, I've, I've been back here so many times, the principal gallery, I kind of didn't think about it. Um, and I was like, okay, cool. Well, I'm not trying to, again, not trying to rip open a, a healed wound or anything for you, but, like, dude, if you're comfortable doing that, I think we kind of need to address that. So that's why the characters then became Charles, Brent, 
And then Brent, his boyfriend, had brought a girl with him who was dating another Marine in his unit who didn't want to go to the gallery because art was for homos. And so the girl's with him. And so Charles knows nothing about the girl. We hope we never find out who the girl is because we're probably going to slander her. You know, like we're creating like a whole character around her that may not at all be like what she was like or what she was thinking. But basically, those will be the three characters. And those are the three strangers. And it's that um, night. And then and then now your music is like adding the context in the background for that. Yeah. And to me, I think that's fucking like I'm like, OK, that's holistic. But I was like, God damn, man, what an 11th hour bomb to drop. Where I was like, okay, we got we got to fucking think about how to shoehorn all this shit together. Lead with that. That's, that's <laughs> I know, right? I know, fucking crazy. Listen, um, dude, so fucking excited uh, for this week. This episode's dropping four days before the show, so uh, there you go. So I think we've talked enough about the show. Tell everybody how they need to follow you. Tell tell them what what they need to be doing. Do they need to be going? Is it better to go to Spotify, iTunes, go to your site? Yeah, Spotify, Apple Music. Obviously, if you want to purchase anything, uh, I'm a big fan of Bandcamp um, just to give funds direct to people. Um, but, you know, I don't, however, whatever works for you, if streaming is your thing. But just my name, Logan Vaff. Um, I, I'm on Instagram and, uh, like I said, put snippets of songs up there. Um, typically, any shows are announced on Facebook or, or Instagram. I'm working on um website stuff right now and uh yeah i'm pretty easy to find i've got a name that doesn't there's just one of me it seems on the internet which is nice there is although although logan paul keeps stealing your thunder because every time i type start typing logan i'm like he goes logan paul i'm like god damn no not logan paul yeah anyway yeah he has a a larger presence than i do well there's only so many famous logans in the world so yeah, yeah you 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 know it was a bad time. You you were you were safe for about thirty years up until yeah. last ten minutes. But anyway, yeah. dude, fucking blast! I'm glad we could do this. Yeah, thanks for thanks for asking tough questions, man. Thanks for making me think on a Friday. Listen, it, this is the stuff I've want, wanted to ask you since I heard the album. I was like, got so many questions, and as you know, I'm a fan. So uh, I'll see you Thursday, bro. Yeah, I look forward to it, man. Truly, that was Logan Vath's profile in Havoc. So great time talking with him. Um, you know, a lot of takeaways that I had after that. First off, I was fried during that interview. I'm even more fried now, but I was definitely fried during that interview. We've been really saturated, task saturated at Vet Rep. This week is a big week for us. We have um, Edie Falco starring in our very first workshop reading of our very first full-length playwriting contest winner's play. Um, Brad, which will be at Penguin Repertory Theater in Rockland County, New York. So if you're in the area, by all means, go ahead and get tickets. There are four performances over three days, April 14th, 15th, and 16th. And you can get your tickets at vetrep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, vetrep.org. Um, yeah, yeah, there's going to be shameless plugs littered throughout every, my content and what else I have to say. Um, and then between that and, of course, Savage Wonder Ground that Logan and I talked a lot about, get your tickets at savagewonder.com, savagewonder.com, savagewonder, all one word, dot com. Um, it's been a busy week. So I, I didn't feel I was at my best for interviewing. My, my, it was hard for the words to come. And it's even harder for the words to come now because I'm even more in it as we speak. That said, 
um, I really did enjoy talking to Logan and finally um, getting some clarity on kind of the method behind the madness. Uh, I, you know, uh, his music, um, yeah, I was really bummed he couldn't come to the festival last year. I thought he would have been a real value add for it. And I don't know who we would have bumped or not invited to have Logan there. So I guess it worked out. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, you know, his music really, uh, really resonated with me. So I really appreciate being able to sit down and talk with him. I think I'm going to see if I can I'm articulate enough to make this point. There is something interesting, though. I think about having a day job and I think one of Logan's, I think one of the reasons why it's been hard for us to sync up dates and all that is he's got another, not just job, but apparently a job that pays very well and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, gives him a lot of stability. He's able to have a family and, and, you know, support them and all the rest of that. And it's interesting how that intersects with someone's art. And I'm saying this in light of the military in the military where we wear our resumes on our uniforms and we are, in many respects, assessed as a person based on the accoutrements we have on our uniforms. That's how rigid our metric is and how specific and, and, and how um, it's what our incentive structure is based on in the military. It's, what, um, it's how we value, especially strangers in the military. And as we all know, that doesn't always line up. You know, there's plenty of people we all, I'm sure, know who have a lot of fruit salad on their uniform and don't seem all that great as a person or struggling with a lot of things. And, you know, it's not necessarily the measure of a person. It can be. It can hint at how awesome somebody is. But, it, it you know, a man is more than his job, uh, to paraphrase or rephrase the old quote. And what's interesting to me is with Logan, and for that matter, any artist, art is diametrically opposite. There are very specific wickets you have to go through to get your accoutrement in the military and to get your pats on the back and your kudos and all that, and all the bona fides that establish you as a quality individual. But in art, there are no metrics. There are no wickets. There, It's wildly individual depending on your medium and depending on you, you know, there's no right way to do things. There's no one path to go down. Um, I mean, it used to be getting a big book deal was everything for a writer, but you know, then people started making millions self-publishing and the dynamic shifted and playing fields were flattened and, you know, just the, the, the it, it changes. So art is, is it's very difficult to then for somebody transitioning from the military to sometimes know how do they stack up in art because you don't have rank, you don't have MOSs, you don't have accoutrements that you can look to and say, oh, therefore I must qualify as, you know, X value. And I think that's why having a job apart from art and sometimes that job is having a family as well is incredibly important, not always, but often for artists. I think otherwise you can become too solipsistic, too narcissistic, too self-involved, too self-important. And you, and when that happens, it's because you're weighing your entire identity based off the quality of art you are producing or you are told you are producing. 
um, which is often dictated by a third party, whether it's buyers, audiences, whatever, gatekeepers. But when you are grounded by having a family or a job or you know, something that is providing you stability apart from that, it frees you up to really enjoy your art, invest purely in it without concerns about the second and third order effects of each move you make in your career and, um, and takes you out of yourself. And I think probably less self-involvement is often, not always, but often beneficial uh, for artists, um, especially if they still have the discipline to maintain their art and not forego it completely. So that was, those are a couple of the stray thoughts that occurred to me talking with Logan. Um, and it's interesting to see, you know, and again, obviously I'm very interested in veterans that go into artistic pursuits. But um, yeah, that was one thought that came to me in light of that interview. Okay, I hope that made sense. Um, we started off this episode, obviously, by talking about Second Mission Foundation and thanking them for their sponsorship of this episode. I'd like to thank our other sponsor, which, of course, is my own nonprofit, Vet Rep, um, Veterans Repertory Theater, which is a 501c nonprofit organization dedicated to building a platform for talented veterans to create compelling live theater and events. We have so much going on at Vet Rep. It's insane. But if you're in the Washington, D.C. area on April 13th, Definitely come out and check out Logan and the show that, at least initially, we built around him and his music uh, before Charles McCaffrey's story, uh, you know, came in hot. But but Logan was has been a huge part of this. So April thirteenth, six p.m. at the beautiful Principal Gallery on King Street in Old Town Alexandria. Get your tickets. SavageWonder.com. That's all one word. SavageWonder.com. SavageWonder.com. We do have Brat with Edie Falco going on the very next day. So if you're thinking to yourself, how huge is this apparatus at Vet Rep that they are having an event in D.C. in the very next three days having events in uh, New York? We're not very big at all. We're just driving down and we're turning right around and coming right back up to New York to put Brad on at Penguin Rep with them. So get your tickets for that at vetrep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, vetrep.org. And uh, it will we'll take you through some links to Penguin Rep's site where you actually have to get the tickets, but it's the same number of click links. Uh, so go to vetrep.org and get your tickets for that if you're in the New York area. And then, of course, we have the parlor shows going on, uh, our, our weekly stage reading series that we do from April to December every year. Well, every year. This is our second year doing it, but we haven't been around that long. So obviously if you're in the greater Cornwall, New York area near West Point, we'd love to see you. Um, yeah, I think that's all the stuff I have to plug for right now, but it is a busy week. I'm running on fumes, so I'm going to wrap it up here. My thanks to Mike Neal for putting this episode together. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer on behalf of Logan Vath. See you next time for another Profile in Havoc. <laughs>